Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. Um, If any of you have heard me speak in public at any talks, my PDs, or just in passing, you probably heard me mention the guests that we have on today. Um, Angela Hanscom, the amazing author of Balanced and Barefoot, and I have to correct myself all the time because I say barefoot, balanced, but same, same. <laughs> but look up Balanced and Barefoot, that will be in the show notes. And it's all about um, essential, creating sensory rich experience from your background as having a master's in pediatric occupational therapy and also being an undergrad in kinesiology about body movement um, and those worlds colliding as I love things happening and those similarities converging. Um, And then you've also got an amazing um, TED talk called The Real Reason Your Children Fidget. So I encourage everyone to head over to that as well. Um, Thank you so much, Angela, not only for just joining us today, but um, for you invigorating my journey um, and the importance of what we do at Worthy in creating these sensory diverse um, experiences that children aren't getting anymore. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And as we are in the middle of this COVID-19 semi-lockdown, so you're you're in New Hampshire. Um, What's the town? It's called Barrington. It's a very rural town in New Hampshire, yeah. Yeah, I love your Facebook, like always hiking with your children, always outdoors, so good. Um, and we're, we've both got similar um, challenges at the moment. We're both in like semi-lockdown. We can access nature at this time. Um, so I thought it would be a really great opportunity to give families some motivation and inspiration to, and the why to get the children outside and, and have the confidence to say, hey, you don't need to become a teacher right now. You need to be a parent. And that we have this amazing resource that is still thriving, essentially, even more so. Nature still moves on. You're still seeing those beautiful birds. They're not talking about COVID-19. And nature continues and it still provides an abundance of security, fulfillment and opportunity. So maybe we could talk about that. What do you think? That sounds great. Awesome. So from an occupational therapist standpoint for our listeners that predominantly are parents and early childhood educators what's your why i love this um i love that i've come across some literature and it says timber nook which i didn't mention in intro is that your outdoor learning experience company that is all across america new zealand australia and just absolutely exploded because there's absolute necessity um an experiment that became a journey I love that. So so what's your why for children getting outside more? So my why was really, um, it was a, quite a journey, um, but it was really 
I guess my aha moment was when I started to see children presenting with interesting sensory issues, things that I never even thought would be an issue. Um, for instance, we had a, a child that I was working with way back that didn't like wind in his face. And I remember thinking, how do I treat that in a clinic setting? Because yeah. often occupational therapists are actually indoors. We're inside schools, we're inside hospitals. And so when um, stuff like that was being presented. I remember struggling, you know, do I get a fan and blow the fan and wind his, in yeah. his face to help him or, you know, and then a lot of kids not liking getting dirty. So they didn't want um, mud or dirt on their hands. Um, but the number one issue was actually kids falling and um, having trouble with knowing where their body was in space. And it was becoming a bigger issue. I remember a therapist one time doing a workshop saying, kids aren't rolling down the hills anymore. So this is going to be by far the thing that you have to treat the most in a clinic setting yeah. is helping kids with their balance. So I think that was my first why. And then my second why was when I had my own children and I started noticing that a lot of my daughter, when she was four, a lot of her friends were receiving occupational therapy yeah. and Occupational therapy is really was something very rare. When I was growing up in the early 80s, there was it was really reserved for children with more severe disabilities. So I think those were the two things that kind of got me on this journey um, was really realizing that there was an increase in the amount of kids receiving occupational therapy. Yeah. Excellent. And I can relate because I was one of those children that had occupational therapy in the mid 80s. Um, mid to late 80s um, and I asked my mum what was I remember going to do these occupational therapy type of activities and I was like what was that for and my mum goes I don't know <laughs> she didn't even know what it was for but I always had to go every week um, but there you go um, so it feeds into our why quite nicely and the importance and necessity of children getting activated and it just comes down to children having that fulfilling childhood experience um, so from uh, standpoint of a lot of pe parents are indoor they've become the leader of the children in these spaces now so could you give maybe some information on a why parents want to get their children outside at this point in time sure there's so many reasons um, one of course is the sensory reasons right so when you step outdoors um, you have more synapses firing in the brain because more so more senses are being engaged. Yep. So you'll feel the temperature, the sun beating down on you. All of a sudden you'll feel wind. Um, you'll hear bird sounds tweeting, you know, from different directions. And all of that helps you to um, organize your senses. And that organization of the senses helps lay a foundation for learning. So that's one reason why stepping outdoors is important. Um, you know, and it challenges the senses as well. So let's say you're walking um, outdoors versus inside where everything's level and you really don't, you're not challenged. Yeah. Um, when you step outdoors, the terrain is uneven and you're constantly adjusting um, your balance and your muscles to that. So you're going to, you're going to challenge the muscles and the senses more outdoors. Um, but also if um, talking about indoor play, um, you just can't, you're not, you're going to be restricted more. So you're not going to be moving around as much. So you're, um, once you step outdoors, you're going to, you have more opportunity to move your body in all different ways. Yeah. 
which is really important for strength and balance and all sorts of stuff. And then um, um, the opportunities for play is are endless outside because um, let's say um, when you first step outdoors, um, you see sticks, right? You have leaves, grass, you know, um, a lot of those objects outdoors have endless opportunities. We call it affordances. So they have different visual affordances. And uh, for instance, a stick can be used as a wand. It can be used as a sword. It can be used as um, a bow and arrow, uh, a fishing pole. And so it has endless play opportunities. So when you step outdoors, another thing that happens is there's more play opportunities versus playing inside with with a toy that might be restricted. So when you step outdoors, um, it increases um, opportunity and space and time um, and brings play to a whole different level. Yeah. And um, when it comes to the parent actually being these leaders and you were mentioning off air how obviously not being able to have big groups coming, you're activating like family excursions which is a great initiative not only just for the children but for the adults at these challenging times Um, but some of the feedback and observations I've made is parents are really really struggle to get into that play because they live in this framing of like get it done fix it fix it fix it the task Um, so how are some what are some strategies that you and your team use to get that parent into the play and what some tips you could give oh um hmm. that's a really that's a good question because we haven't we haven't trialed the family experiences yet they're something that's new and coming up but um for the most part i think that I've done experiences when I do um, workshops, we'll have the adults do a play experience. And for the most part, if the environment is inspiring and you stage it to inspire play, that's all you need to do. Most of us haven't forgotten how to play. Um, But if there's some sort of inspiration that really helps versus if you had nothing out there and said, go play, I think that's a huge leap for, for adults. But most of them, um, like last time I was in Australia, actually, we had people that were um, like jumping in bushes and yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and one lady is like, I just had a hip replacement. And <laughs> I think people forget um, yeah. well, they're, they're ready to, to play at a level that they did as children. So, but I think inspiration is key. Yeah. Have, like getting back to know that it's this, uh, it's not a skill you have to learn. You've got it. You've got it. It's yeah. Fine. Exactly. And we play, we play as adults, like every, a right. lot of the time as well, like, be, yeah. but just tends to be more social. Yes. Um, and uh, we actually had um, the Merrill Shoe Company um, yeah. had their design team for children's shoes come and play um, yeah. at Timberlock and they did a giant ball run. And so again, the supplies were out them out there to inspire them and we gave them the opportunity. We stepped back and they, they loved it. They dived right in one was up a tree and they were you know and they were trying to make it quicker they're very competitive yeah. so they were trying to make their ball run faster yeah, adults. Yeah, it didn't take them very long to get in there yeah cool. what are some of those things that you would put in an environment to inspire instead of just like some some people right now what might have access to like a bushland or some wooded areas as you'd call it um we call it a bit of bush um mm-hmm what what's some ways to activate that and make it inspiring 
Right. Um, so it depends on who who you're talking about. But if it's for children, yeah, and especially little children, um, you want to think in terms of what would be inspiring for them. So for toddlers, toddlers, for example, um, if you have and using what you have out there. So let's say you have access to some mud puddles, yeah, um, which is kind of a fun environment anyway. And you have a toddler and it's warm you could place out some stainless steel trays and some pitchers that are stainless steel um, right near the puddle so that they start associating the puddle with those items and place the child in that region. And they'll often just start experimenting on their own. Or you might do the same thing with um, different trucks and like brushes um, and sponges and just place, you're just purposely placing, um, a certain environment with um, different objects out there. But we do use a lot of loose parts. So we tend to use materials that can be used for multiple purposes, um, like tires. Love to to hear that. Yeah, tires, planks, um, curtains that you can get for really cheap at Goodwill. (laughs) Yeah. And um, something we come up against time and time again, and we've had a whole bunch of people on there and it always comes down to, but what about the child getting messy and dirty? So obviously you would deal with that like everyone else. So what's your strategy coming from the expert in the field on overcoming it? And overcoming fears of getting dirty? Yeah, the parents. Yeah, so it's, I think just explaining why it's important is really key for any any fears. Um, even just getting messy and dirty, that tends to be not one that we deal with that much because I think people like kind of know what they're getting yeah, when they yeah, come they to signed that. up already, aren't they? It's not like teachers <laughs> but, in the school or something like that. Right. But, um, you know, just talking to them about how it's a really important um, tactile or touch experience for children. Um, and often um, that's how they integrate that sense is through digging in the dirt. Um, so you, cause that light touch can feel really aversive to some children, yeah. but because if they're digging at the same time, they actually integrate that light touch sense. So it helps a ch- child to be able to tolerate different substances later on yeah. by being exposed to that. And it's good for their immune system as Adam would tell you. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and for the, the novice um, or just not non-familiar, I should say, um, listener out there, why is sensory um, – yeah, there's so many terms for it, sensory saturation or let's just call it a sensory experience or a rich sensory experience. Why is that important for a child's development? Right. So there's a lot of research about, you know, what happens when you – take away important sensory experiences yeah. from children, like in an orphanage and, yeah. you know, depriving them of that and um, how it can affect them. And I think it's really important for neurological development to have a rich sensory environment because again, it helps to organize the senses. And if you want to get to higher level learning, you have to have that organized. Um, and the only way to do that is to be exposed to it. Yeah. Um, to have practice and to constantly adapt the brain to it. Yeah. So the sensory experience is our way of understanding the world and our place yeah. in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, the other side of the coin is like, yes, let's have a rich sensory experience. But when you're not having a, 
rich sensory experience, the outcomes are quite severe as well. Do you want to share some of those with our listeners to give them a bit of another why? It's kind of the move oh. away from motivator. All right. So let's give an example of being overly restricted because that's probably the yeah. most common problem. And actually, we're probably going to see that for a little while um, with, you know, this being quarantined. Um, especially for children in cities. So if children are constantly in an upright position um, is one, just one issue. So if they're, they're seated and they're looking at a computer all day, um, it's really, it's just, it's really not healthy for a number of reasons. But one reason is that they're not simply not getting enough movement. And um, inside the inner ear, Um, our little hair cells and children actually need to move in rapid ways uh, throughout the day. Um, So the fluid can move back and forth in the inner ear and stimulate those hair cells. And that develops your vestibular system. And that's your balance sense. And that, that sense is actually key to all the other senses and helps with sensory, we call it sensory integration. So if they're not getting enough movement, it can actually affect, um, their awareness of where their body is in space. Um, kids can become more clumsy. They get more ear infections because the fluid thickens in the inner ear. Yep. They just keep, they're kept upright all the time. Yep. Um, so they can have balance issues and then they can have attention issues, yep. um, emotional yep. regulation problems, um, and also, um, trouble with, you. um, tracking with their eyes for reading and writing yeah um so when it comes to the attention issues and obviously feeding into those adhd and all of those um those diagnosed framings um how does that is it because their balance is off it's affecting their concentration because they're they're taking energy to think about just being upright instead of so what's at hand um, a couple of different reasons why. Um, so one, one problem is if it, if a child has, um, their stomach muscles and their back muscles aren't quite strong enough, then they actually do have to kind of think about where yeah. their body is. In Makes me sit back. up straight. Anytime someone mentions <laughs> that, I'm like, Oh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So that can actually affect attention. Um, but the other reason is, um, that the vestibular system that I was just talking about actually um, turns a reticular activating system on in the brain yep. to pay attention. Yeah. So when kids are fidgeting in school, they're actually that's igniting the brain to to tune in, and so that's why you see kids like bouncing in their seats a little bit, or they're like sitting on one foot and they're kind of fidgeting. Yeah. Um, they're just trying to pay attention. Yeah. Um, so, but we what we need to do is let them move more often throughout the day so that that's not really an issue and where they're not so fidgety. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's what happens when we keep them seated for most of the day. Yeah. I was um, diagnosed with ADD in year five because the teacher's feedback to the doctors was I rocked on my chair and looked out the window. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's why – that's what got me into this field and my motivation in behind giving children this – we've got this really tight window to start activating all that physiology for that child ongoing – so right. that's why Absolutely. I'm so motivated and I think everyone as an educator, as a parent should go and read your book so they can grasp the importance of this because we've only got one shot at it. Well, you can have other shots at it, but it's expensive yeah. to go down that track and pay, <laughs> pay to reverse this. So let's get the foundation right to start. 
Um, yes. And now we're, we're, we're obviously there's a lot of that heading into the, uh, even more sedentary lifestyle um, and with screen time being the easy fix, which is quite scary to have even more screen time. So mm. what's your um, tips for parents to get their children? Because I'm sure it's something you come across is yeah. the, the screen outside conflict. So how do you, you and your team manage that? Well, I think, I think what we're experiencing right now is such a unique situation. Um, so like during this virus that's happening, like yeah. I think people are just going to have to get creative. I mean, not everyone's going to be able to get outdoors, but 100%. to be really, really aware of how much screen time their kids are getting and trying to, um, you know, just communicate with the teachers about that, um, you know, to make sure there's a, a good balance of of different ways yeah. of learning and then making sure they take breaks, the children. Um, I finding that my own children that, you know, they're on the computer now with this online learning yeah. and I'm like, you, you have to take an hour, go, you know, go outside. Um, they take a, like an hour break and then I make them take more breaks. But um, I just, yeah, it's really important because then they lose focus and it's, it's very hard to learn once you're sitting for so long. Um, but in the, like normal, the yeah. normalcy when we're not going through this, my kids are, um, they don't have a lot of screen time. So yeah. they typically go to school and they, when they come home, um, they don't have phones yet. My daughter is almost 15 and yeah. we don't, she doesn't have a phone. She'll probably have one in high school, but um, just we're li very limited to that because I know there's, they'll have plenty of that later. Um, if they feel like um, children are fidgeting a lot, I think it's a good indicator that the kids need to move more. So um, I would have educators start thinking about recess a little differently and allowing for a longer recess period. Um, 15, yep. 20 minutes, I don't feel is enough time for uh, recess. Because yeah. um, often what happens is when you first start moving, if you let kids outside, they get even more active. Yeah. Um, and then you let them in in 20 minutes and now they're off the wall um, yep. because it takes a good 45 minutes to an hour for them to regulate and be ready to learn. So if they truly want kids to be focused and ready to learn, they need to allow for um, about an hour um, yeah. of recess time. And also just that um, time, ample time to burn off those, like, you know, there is a lot of stress in sitting down and concentrating. Yes. So burning off all that cortisol and... So they can learn better eventually as yeah. well. So, you know, Absolutely. my message to educators is like, just please do not see this as having to do more. I know yeah. a lot of teachers are stretched already and don't see this as having to do more. It's it's meaning you're, you're actually, um, you'll have to do less because you'll have less behavioral challenges. You'll have yeah. um, more emotional regulation. Mm -hmm. And you'll yeah. have well children. Yes. Um, and Welcome. something that I know you love is that we're on a joint mission here is supporting children to engage in risk as mm -hmm. well. So um, from your standpoint, how can we, um, how do we support children engage in risk positively would be better? 
Sure. So I actually, I think of it a little bit different. Um, yeah. uh, from the OT standpoint, we call it um, the just right challenge. Yeah. So we, if we don't allow for that challenge, they, they can't get to the next developmental level. So if you go in a clinic setting, we're like, we want you to go upside down. So you know how to be better on your feet. We want you to spin so that you can organize those senses. So, so all of those risks that you're talking about, is essential for child development. So when talking to parents about it, um, I often talk about um, the, that it's part of um, normal neurological development. And it's only when we get in and, and we stop them from doing that. So if we say, don't spin, you're going to get hurt or don't go upside down. If we constantly do that, we're actually getting in the way of that essential neurological development. Yeah. Um, the protection effect. Right. Yeah, so it's actually causing more harm. Yeah. Oh, so 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 sad. Um, yeah. And it's, we're just taken away from that authentic childhood experience again. Yeah. Um, absolutely. What's exciting? What's exciting you most right now about the future with what's happening? Because you've seen the amazing evolution of outdoor play. Like mm -hmm. it was a real deficit and people like you, and I commend you for that effort, is really putting this at the forefront. Development of people like the Children and Nature Network, um, really putting this at the forefront. So what excites you most about where you see this outdoor play, adventure, sensory immersion or rich experience going? Yeah, so um, I would, I guess I'm most excited about it finally going into the schools and yeah. affecting the schools. Um, and so that's something that we've been working on for, for a long time. Yeah. I think like about three, three, four years over here is really providing opportunities for Timbernook to be in the school. And so that we can affect the culture of yeah. education through, and cause we, yeah, we believe that um, teachers, they have to experience it firsthand to understand it. Yeah. And it's the only way we're going to create change. Um, and so that's what I'm most excited about. Um, but I do believe that I believe what we're doing is a form of occupational justice um, because yeah. play is an occupation for children. Yeah. And because it's at risk, it's still at risk. Yeah. And um, it's really being eliminated um, a lot still that this is a form of justice because we it's our job to bring back this authentic occupation for children once again um because we were seeing health issues because of that so yeah so i, I, I love feel like that framing yeah and so, what does it look like um timber not getting into schools is that pd is it resources mm -hmm. um is it just strategic information so it's um it's a program um so it's both curriculum and professional development for yep. the school yeah Brilliant. Well done. Because that's a big challenge for us. Early childhood sector over here, um, getting into that, it's a competitive market. So everyone wants the most updated information and they can they have the freedom to have those change their practices and elevate them really quickly. But schools, right. the institutions of schools, as you know, and um, a friend of ours, Adam Bainstock, knows going into schools and trying to say, like, put this in, put this in, support this, yeah. and you're banging your head against the wall. Um, yeah. Trying to get into that. So it's so commendable. And you're exercising, demonstrating resilience as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it motivates me to keep going it because there's been a bunch. Absolutely. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm just not getting anywhere. So yeah, thank you yeah, so much. Going. What do you have coming up? that's um, at Timbernook 
Um, do you have some talk? Obviously, no talks going on. Um, are you I gonna, know. Are you going to write another book? <laughs> I want. A, I want part two. Um, I will probably write another book. It's just it needs to be the right timing. It's um. So the big, the biggest thing that we're doing right now is we're starting to train publics, get into public schools. And that by itself is, is, um, is a huge project and it's super exciting. Um, and then I got asked to speak for, um, an occupational Congress. So on the behalf of occupational therapists in Portugal for, um, a few countries, they do it only every three years. So, um, speaking on behalf of children in play for my profession, um so that's exciting but yeah a lot of speaking engagements but they're all being postponed now till like the fall (laughs) so thank you so much angela for joining us today um so fulfilling to be able to speak to someone that has given me so much motivation and inspiration and i've seen angela's work um impact educators and then that carry across into so many children's lives across Australia, across the world. Um, I look forward to following that journey as you progress into schools because that's our mission as well. And um, just thank you for that. And I'm holding you to that promise of the second book sometime soon. Thank you, Angela. Angela. Thank you so much. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for having me. No, um, I'd love to have you on again as well. That sounds great. Awesome. Thanks for joining me. We'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. That was the amazing Angela Hanscom. Um, All of the reference to her book, um, we'll put an Amazon link so you can go straight on there and buy that. Also follow Timbernook online. um, Amazing resource pages as well. And um, thank you so much for joining us for another Worthy podcast. Look forward to you joining us again soon.